Welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, Ordinary People, Extraordinary Creativity. Here's how to get unstuck. I'm your host, creativity coach, Nancy Norbeck. Let's go. Ramana Hassan Earl has traveled all over the world and is the author of several books, including two novels, the second of which is currently in progress. She also coaches writers who call her Ramana Rocks and is an astrologer. Ramana joins me to talk about how travel has influenced her writing process and her creativity, how astrology is a useful tool to see ourselves and our characters in a new light, the biggest advice she gives anyone starting a writing project, and more. I think you'll enjoy my conversation with Ramana Hassan Earl. Ramana, welcome to Follow Your Curiosity. Hello, and thank you for having me. It's an honor being on your show. Thanks. So I start everybody off with the same question, which is, were you a creative kid or did you discover your creative side later on? Ah, I was a very creative kid. I decided, um, I guess at the age of eight or nine, that um, I'm a writer. And I, I started creating my own magazines already in that age. Oh, so cool. I just took mom's magazines and like, destroyed them, which didn't make her happy, and built something new. <laughs> did, she, did she get over that, though? Did, you, did she encourage you to do something different, or did she eventually just decide, fine, whatever? No, no, she let me feel that she wasn't happy, um, <laughs> especially with, uh, I did so many things, like, um, you know, we had those cassette recorders then. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm born in 1968, so we talk about old yep. stuff and uh, my sister and I we love to record our own shows on those cassettes but um we never got new ones so we took mom's music cassettes and that was not good <laughs> your poor mother <laughs> I'm not gonna lie I I'm with her on that one <laughs> Oh my. So she didn't just buy you your own. I mean, I, I, that would have been my immediate solution to that problem after delineating. These are the ones you can record on and these are the ones you can't. Yeah, that would have been a good idea. I don't know why she didn't do it. <laughs> I mean, we, my parents uh, were very young parents. So my mom got me when she was 18. Oh, wow. And uh, so they, they like built their own house and they had to pay, pay loads of debt. So maybe it was just a financial issue. Mm. Um, that could be the case. I have to ask her. <laughs> wow. But you survived. She didn't kill you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I survived. <laughs> so, you know, I because I remember writing my first story when I was about that same age, like fourth or fifth grade. And, you know, it did not, in my case, turn into, I suddenly started writing everywhere. It took a couple of years. What happened with you? Um, at the age of 12, I remember that very well. I, I really decided I want to write books. So that was clear for me. I tried it with like drafts of like movie things. I, I wrote my first Western, for example, at the <laughs> age of 11. And then I realized, no, I want to write stories. Uh, so a novel, maybe. And I had no clue where to start. Um, so as my parents are farmers, I thought I, it doesn't make any sense to ask them because they wouldn't know either. So I wrote a letter to the local radio station. Mm. I thought they must be clever folks. They're reading the news every day. So, and I never get, I never got an answer. Oh, that's so unfair. That's so you know, sad. A kid writing a letter. So could you tell me how to write a book? And never got an answer. So I, I thought that maybe my question was freaking stupid or everybody else knows how to write books. And I'm, I'm the only one who doesn't know. And that's why they don't answer. And so I decided, okay, no. My dreams of being a famous writer just vanished. And I came back to that idea um, of writing. I mean, I always did journaling. I never stopped and, and poems and loads of stuff. Um, but at the age of, I think that was 24, 
um, I traveled to uh, America, US, mm -hmm. and we did a, a lot of flying around over there from Florida to California and back and forth. And um, I thought, why don't I write a story about um, uh, airlines, how different oh. they are, and offer it to a newspaper in Austria because they had tests like that. So um, that guy was really nice. He answered and said, I love your style. I love the way you like built up your test. But that is just, you know, how many Austrians fly to America and then fly, fly around. So we can't use that, but I have you in our like address um, data resources and you will get to know when we are looking for authors. And two weeks later, I got an email who wants to write about soups. <laughs> soups in, in like glasses and packages <laughs> and I yelled out via email yes I won and so I got the first story and that's how I how it started I was studying then and um, working as a cab driver to afford my studies and yeah I wrote for that newspaper and that was a cool time every Saturday seeing your own story in the news oh yeah it's a great feeling the first time you see your name in print, right? Oh, my God. Unbelievable. And so I, I did that for a long time. Then I started um, after finished university. I started in, at Austria's biggest broadcasting company, um, worked for the TV, but helped to build up the first website with news. That was like in the 90s. <laughs> wow. And um, so I, I, I did online press as well. And the book idea really came back to me after I got fired from that company. That was after 17 years. Um, we had a little conflict with our new boss, the TV people. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm, I'm always the one who likes walks, uh, walks in the front line, right? <laughs> you can't do that to us. And two weeks later, I got that letter in my inbox that I'm fired and um, of course I was devastated and it took me about four months to come back to the idea hey there was something a dream a vision in your life why don't you write those books now you have time I always said I'm a time millionaire now broke but time millionaire and, <laughs> and so I started um, my first book, which was a garden book. And I was really lucky, lucky, lucky. I joined an online course on how to do it. So because I still didn't know <laughs> how to structure it and doing everything, how to write the proper email to a publisher. And after 12 emails, I had a publisher who took me on the contract. Wow, that's quick. And that. That's quick and that's really huge luck. I, that's, I really know how, how much luck I had. And yeah, I, I wrote uh, four books for them and they still, they wanted to keep me, but I decided for other topics. Um, so I, I did some uh, projects in, in self-publishing, but I know I can go back anytime. So oh, that's, nice. that's a real luxury situation. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I can't deny that I'm terribly curious what driving a cab was like. Oh, my God. <laughs> because I have to think that there are, I mean, if nothing else, I'm sure you met interesting characters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, what happened was in these days, um, you really could earn good money in, in driving a cab because Austria is a tiny country in in the middle of Europe and we have weird laws in when it comes to business so in these days there were only a certain amount of cabs allowed per city so of course you you did a lot of you had a lot of work to do and so I loved the earning much money thing because all the other students didn't have mm -hmm. the chances to fly to America or do I bought myself a motorbike and we went on tours all over Europe, for example. So I knew that this is a kind of luxury situation nobody else has um, it, at my age. And that's what I liked. Um, of course, I had to do night shifts only because uh, at daytime I was at university. 
and that was sometimes kind of weird. So we're mm -hmm. talking about a 48-hour uh, work week plus university stuff. And in these days, you really, you could put me wherever and I sat down and fell asleep. That was so <laughs> cool. <laughs> it's uh, amazing. So um, I was super exhausted all the time. And what, what also happened is that my studies got slower and slower. Mm. Because you earn that amount of money, you love it, and then you are in that system, right? right. And I know many students who, who just stayed. They never finished and just stayed cab drivers. Still meet them when I go wow. downtown. <laughs> so um, I, I, when I like, I, I wanted to finish university, and when I had my my last um, um, work to do there, I, I promised myself when I'm done and I have that certificate in my hands, I give back that cap key and that's it. I had to promise it to myself. Otherwise, maybe I still would do it. And so that was uh, almost 10 years of night shifts. Wow. And uh, of course, it was weird afterwards because you, you have different social Socializations, right? You only mm -hmm. socialize with cab drivers because everybody else is asleep when you're yeah. working. <laughs> and so that was, yeah. And the people, um, there was a huge shift um, because Salzburg is a, a, a tiny town. It's not like you know, New York or London. So people were always nicer than mm. otherwhere. Um, but nevertheless, the, the shift happened. And so it got more and more exhausting with drunk people and drugged people and people who like, they, they tried having fun with scare you, right? Mm -hmm. Pretending they have a weapon and stuff like that. Mm, yeah. That's so, yeah, that's yucky. I, and so I was really happy when I got the chance to start the TV productions and was off and away. But um, it took me seven years until I wanted to go out again for a cocktail <laughs> or something because I couldn't stand those people. But I know everything. <laughs> yeah. I don't want it. <laughs> well, and especially, you know, it's, it's one thing, unfortunately, if you're a guy and you're doing that job. You know, I don't think that somebody is as likely to try to scare you you know, or, or be inappropriate if you're a guy driving the cab, but oh, a single woman driving a cab just seems like a ready-made target, unfortunately. So, yeah. Yeah, that was the case. And, um, of course that, that brought up some like feminist questions mm. in myself. So, and as I studied politics and, and journalism, that the topic was close already. So we're talking about the nineties. There was the the feminist um, movement was very strong in these days and all the students, uh, female students started to cut the hair really short and like showing the world that they don't need to be pretty and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that was a, a real yeah, huge movement. And I'm, I'm pretty glad that the feminist um movement changed as well so women come back to knowing that we as women we we don't have to be like men right mm -hmm. we have our own way doing things yeah we can be whatever way we want to be yeah yeah so so you survived driving the cab and you got to do early web stuff and it's funny because when you were talking about i thought isn't it amazing to try to remember back to when the web didn't exist and all of that was new? It just seems so normal to me now. And yet I remember those days of, ooh, it's, it's, a, it's a thing on the web. You can go look stuff up. You know, it, it was, yeah, it was such a, such a wild time. Sometimes, sometimes I wonder, you know, what it was like when we couldn't go look things up at a moment's notice you know, when you had to wonder or go look in the library, get a librarian to help you figure it out. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that, that I remember the first email. So I 
didn't understand what the hell it was. <laughs> I had a friend who was a, a computer programmer. So he started very early on computers. And when the whole internet stuff started, he wanted to explain it to me. And it was like, I looked at him as if my head was empty. <laughs> I don't get what that should be. And then you had this little box and it always went bing, 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 bing. <laughs> Making the connection. And it was super slow. You said that. Oh. <laughs> I actually found there is at least one video on YouTube of old school dial-up modems connecting and the sound and how it was different, which I had never realized that it was different. I always thought, you know, a modem is a modem. It sounds like a modem. And damned if I didn't sit there and listen to that whole video and it must have had 10 different modems connecting, just thinking, wow, I haven't heard this in so long. And I feel so old. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah right. I mean, it had to make that noise. You could you could hear it in your head even when you weren't connecting to something because it was so distinctive. And yeah, yeah there yeah. there it was. And and I remember being a freshman at university and a friend of mine who was the son of a military civilian in Germany who was using email to keep in touch with his dad telling me what email was and taking me to the computer center to apply to get an email address. It was 1989 and they had a form you had to fill out and you had to tell them what you wanted it for. Oh, my which, God. you know, me now people will just throw an email address at you, you know, but no, I had, I had to say what I wanted it for. And I was afraid they weren't going to give it to me. Of course, the only person that I could email at that point was the friend who was taking me who lived a floor above me. So there wasn't a whole lot of point, <laughs> but, but that changed. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just so wild to me how quickly all of that took off and changed everything. Yeah. It's uh, it's unbelievable. Um, my partner is thirty, so when he was born, I mean that internet thing wasn't that mm, mm -hmm. used, but he grew grew up with it. Right. He doesn't know it in another way. So sometimes I I say stuff like, yeah, you 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 had to find, for example, I play guitar, so you had to find someone who has the for the song you wanted to learn, right? And you had to print it and keep it with you and be very careful because when it was gone, it was gone. And nowadays you just look it up and there it is. Yeah. So, and when I talk about stuff like that, or even um, I'm a long term traveler, nowadays I travel with an uh, old van and uh, I still do map navigation. So I have those maps from all over Europe, each country, and I navigate per map. And when he looks at me, he's just like, why don't you use a navigation system? <laughs> and I say, I hate it because I hate it. That thing is talking to me and sometimes she's wrong and I cannot start like telling her this. <laughs> she's wrong. <laughs> And I'm I'm still quick and better with map, map navigation, but a 30-year-old wouldn't understand that. No, not at all. No chance. Huh? That's not so weird. <laughs> I know. I know. I mean, I don't think that it's such a massive level of change. And I, I don't think even our grandparents probably saw any one thing that changed the world as dramatically as the internet changed everything. Yeah. And as quickly, it's it's kind of amazing to think about it. They saw lots of different things that changed together mm -hmm. how we lived. But yeah, wild, <laughs> wild. <laughs> so actually, since you brought it up, let's let's talk about the traveling, because I think travel is super important and is a major piece of of what helps us to get in touch with our creativity in new ways. So how did you come to start? doing that um i love traveling since i was a kid so my first trip without my parents i was uh, 13 and uh, spent two weeks in england with a family to improve my english and uh, from that day on i knew that that's my thing traveling 
Um, so I traveled the U.S. eight times. I've been to Thailand twice, to Africa, to Alaska. So, so many, many countries with all those years of, of studying. And then uh, in Austria, we have the luxury situation that if you are employed, you have five weeks of mm. holiday. So that's really much you can do stuff in, in these holiday times. And um, I bought that old Volkswagen van <laughs> in 2009. It's, uh, it's built in 1985. So it's, the car is, for example, older than my mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> is this like the classic <laughs> Volkswagen bus? It's the Volkswagen bus, not the round one, not the T2, but the T3, the okay. next one. But still, it's a classic and um, an old timer already. And I, I took all those years to rebuild it and redo it. And now it's almost done. We just need an, an engine overdue, complete overdue. Because, of course, in all these years, that car like collected loads of kilometers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, after I've, I've uh, realized that I'm a time millionaire, um, I, I uh, founded my own company and then I decided, okay, I could do longer travels now because nobody tells me when to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, that took a while to settle in my soul. Um, I know I'm more creative when I'm on the road. For example, my best stories I wrote while driving my motorbike. I had those huge ideas and thoughts. And um, so I, I founded my company in 2013 and in 15, I realized, hey, I could now just pack the car, head off, come back whenever I want. So let's do that. And that was pretty exciting all by myself. And I spent uh, almost uh, three months on the road and loved it. Wow. Went to France and Italy and South and North and I just enjoyed it. It was poor joy. And I realized that I have great ideas when I'm traveling. So I, I founded a, a web portal, Bullyreisen.eu. Um, it's unfortunately, it's in German language, <laughs> um, where other travelers with old cars get information about where to get help when you have a problem, where the best campsites are, where you can stay without the campsite, all that stuff. And within two years, I got... Um, clients who wanted to um, be partnering with me so the whole thing just built itself up without me having much work to do I'm just writing the stories and I love it so that's one thing that really worked out pretty well and came up to me while traveling and um, in 2017 I got my dog and from that day on I knew okay we'll stay in Europe for a while now because um, she's tiny, so she could fly with me in cabin, but um, I wouldn't do that too often. Mm-hmm. But still, it's um, my next plans are traveling to Canada, and then I could take her with me. So that would, would work, but not countries like Thailand or India. Yeah. Right? You, you won't bring a dog there. <laughs> yeah, I think traveling with a dog is a totally different experience. You have something small and tiny and relatively helpless that depends on you rather than you just being as fancy free as you might be on your own. Yeah. I mean, what's really cool is that she's a territorial dog, um, a chihuahua. So they are like that. Um, So what I can do now, and I, I didn't do that before is for example, sleep with open windows Mm. or, or, or doors even because that dog is like an alarm system <laughs> and they yell so loud. They yell, right? Chihuahuas don't really bark. <laughs> so um, that's pretty cool. I feel very safe now. And I mean, I never felt uh, scared before, but you are a bit more careful when you're traveling alone. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And all the great ideas, for example, um, my first novel came up during my travel times. Second novel came up uh, during traveling and I'm writing on it right now. So all that things. Yeah, I am more creative when I'm 
traveling. Yeah. That makes perfect sense to me. I think just because you're seeing different things and you're seeing them in a different way than you would in your normal environment. So different, different synapses are going to fire together than would have otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's, it's the whole altogether thing, right? So in Austria, we, we live in the mountains. They are beautiful. The Alps are gorgeous. But nevertheless, um, we have that urge to be at the sea. <laughs> <laughs> and when I'm there, it's like, oh, my God. And then, bam, 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 bam as you say, that the brain synapses start firing. Um, because that's so different and it smells different and the people are different there and and all those languages in Europe. Mm. So you travel for five hours and you have a complete different language, um, which is fun and, and, and yeah, you have to do something to be understood. Right. So how uh, many languages do you speak? Affluently, just English and German and Austrian. I always say that Austrian is an own language, and um, most people say no, it isn't. But I say this. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I know a bit uh, of Spanish uh, language and Italian. I'm now improving my Italian because in September I start off to Italy, and every time I'm like, I know where I'm going, then I start trying to improve that language mm -hmm. a little bit of french no portuguese unfortunately but that i don't get it <laughs> yeah, i think that that probably also does something for your creativity too because you're using your brain in a totally different way and those languages see things in different ways from one another so that's got to be a factor as well mm, yeah I think so. Um, it's it said that you should uh, learn languages till you are very, very old. That really helps your brain working mm. and trying to talk in a different language. And um, as you said, in, in every language, uh, you you say things in a different way. For example, in Russian, I, I studied Russian for, for two years. You never say, I have something. You say that thing is with me. Mm. So you, you won't even say I have a husband. You would say that man is with me. And it's poetic, isn't it? It's yeah. absolutely different. And so the Russian language was very, very hard to study. But I, I liked it. Forgot most of it. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I mean, even just something like French, you know, has its its moments like that. Oh, yes. You know, different, <laughs> different little, little things. And it's been a long time since I studied French, but I remember kind of being fascinated and thinking, oh, I think I like that better. I like the way they say this better. This makes more sense to me. And it's always fascinated me that words that I learned first in French sound so wrong to me in English. Mm -hmm. You know, formidable. Ah, yeah just sounds like I have marbles in my mouth <laughs> compared to formidable. Formidable. Just, oh, you know, I love it. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's so, it's, it's amazing. That, that's, that's the one I always think of in that particular case. Because when I finally encountered it in English, I was like, I have no idea how to say this. <laughs> and then, and then I looked it up and I was like, you're kidding, right? That can't be right. <laughs> so, when you started writing novels, was that like, did it come to you pretty naturally or was that a really big shift? Um, the first one really came naturally and it started with a blog because um, with my first uh, long trip, my, my mom said, couldn't you just like do a blog and so we can see where you are and of course we understand that you won't send an email on a daily basis and so and I thought that's pretty cool um so I started a, a tiny traveling blog um first of all just for, for my mom and some colleagues um ex-colleagues from work and they they liked it so much they shared it with other people and I got feedback that people love it and 
I, I just wrote down my thoughts every day in the evening, sat down, wrote down my thoughts. And at the beginning, I really had loads of troubles with the car because I didn't know um, how an old car works and mm -hmm. how I can help myself. So I started hearing her voice. So her name is La Carissima, which is Italian <laughs> and means my, my, my loveliest one. <laughs> and um, so I, I, I started writing down what she says and then we discussed stuff. And all of a sudden, another person came into the scenery called the Blues. And he's, he's a weird guy. He's just like doing things you don't want. So wherever he shows up, things go wrong. He sits in the car smoking. He's like swearing, spitting out of the window. And this person came up in my mind and I wrote, wrote it down. And so my plan then was to find out how many people would love to read that as a novel after all that feedback. So I did a book presentation without the finished book. Mm -hmm. And I read some parts of it and asked people, um, what do you like best? And people could buy the book in advance at the presentation. And everybody just said, I love the blues best. He's so funny. <laughs> and I thought, come on, that's the worst part. <laughs> that's my inner blues, right? Personalized. Because when you're traveling alone after four or five weeks that things come up, come up, you, you, you ask yourself, why the hell I'm doing that? I mean, back home, I have friends, I have social contacts, I have everything. And here I sit on a campsite with cold water and nobody. <laughs> and maybe it's raining. <laughs> so, and, and nevertheless, they loved the blues because um, I think that everyone has kind of a blues inside the, themselves. And, uh, and they found a humorous way to read about that. People loved it. And that's how the first novel happened. Um, at the beginning, the first draft had over six, 600 pages full of stories. And I, I really had to do that, what you call in movie making, you call it kill your darling. You mm. just walk through it and, you know, get rid of the stuff you really love because that most of the times is the, is the stuff people don't want to read. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> So that was hard, and now it's uh, 450 pages. And within that first novel, um, there came up a second novel idea, and Carissima started to talk about it. So we were, were traveling long, 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 uh, a night shift, and, and she kept asking, tell me a, a story, tell me a story, I'm bored. And um, so I started to tell her about Frank, who's a lost and lonesome poet living in northern France. And he gets uh, involved into a mafia crime story and doesn't realize it for a long, long time. And then people loved that part as well. So I thought, why don't they make a whole novel out of that Frank part? And that's where I am now. So in the meantime, Frank has traveled to Rome and still don't get what's going on. <laughs> Is it because they've hidden it well, or is Frank just a little dim? <laughs> ah, maybe he's just, he's got too much blues inside him. And ah. that makes it a bit um, like you don't see things properly. And as the whole story starts off with um, um, like another person should show up for a meeting, but that person gets run over by a car and Frank is there and he looks similar. So they mistake him. And he, of, of, because of this, he thinks somebody's doing some fun with him, maybe a TV show or some stupid friends. <laughs> just and So he thinks, no, nah, I go to Rome. When, if they send me there, I go there. If these are stupid friends having fun with me, I do it. So he doesn't get wow. the whole situation. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> he's missing some important stuff there from the sound of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 Frank's gonna have a life-changing moment in ways he doesn't oh, expect. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you write most of the first book while you were traveling? Yes, all okay. of it. Yeah, all, all of, of it. it. 
Um, with Frank, it was like um, I started in 2020 and then that whole Corona mm. time started. So Corona changed a lot for me because my 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 business, I've got three parts of business, right? The traveling part, then uh, the writing part. I'm writing for big companies and do search engine optimization, on-page optimization for them. And then I'm an astrologer as well. So that is the third part. Oh, wow. And and that search engine optimization thing that went off during Corona, I couldn't help myself with, with um, things I had to do. I was working through the whole time. So many people like on, on the phone said, yeah, we have to stay home. We're not allowed to go to work. And I thought, am I the only person working still on the world? <laughs> So that kept booming until um, this year in spring. And I, in spring, I thought, okay, you have to make a cut here because first of all, um, I, want, I want to finish that Frank book and then search engine optimization after a while really gets exhausting mm -hmm. um, because it's, it's non-creative writing and you really have to love your clients to do that over years. So sure. I, I kept three of them um, I really love. And, and now, yeah, the rest uh, um, is gone. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious about the astrology part. I'm especially curious to know, like, because I would totally do this, but maybe it's just me. Do you, do you do astrology for your characters? Um, yeah, I, I did it for Frank, um, not for, for the, the first novel because the blues is the blues and me, it's me. And, <laughs> and, um, yeah, uh, for Frank, I did it because, um, I have a, a very, very good friend and parts of him are Frank. Mm. So that part of being so tired all the time and you have so good ideas and, 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 and visions and never do something with them. So whenever I look at him, I think, yeah, that's Frank and Frank is Virgo. So uh, as my friend and um, Virgo characters, normally they are very correct and they, they want to finish everything on time and stuff like that. But if it doesn't happen, then they can be like that. So they're looking back on all the things they haven't done and are very sad about that. So this part of Virgo, I knitted into Frank's character. Interesting. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know how you would do an astrological chart for a character unless you just make up a birth date for them. But if you, you know, sounds like you didn't have to go that far. Uh, not yet, but of course, um, I will have to uh, think about it because um, Frank has severe um, relationship issues. And um, yeah, I, I know which constellations from astrological thinking would fit there, but they bring other stuff with them. So mm -hmm. I think um, I will have to do that. Be really um, interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's, I I really love it. So that astrology thing is um is the, my heart thing. So um I'm I'm thinking astrological if you want to put it like that. And I'm doing not that uh, a kind of astrology where people come and they want to know their future, right? I'm not a future teller. I want to support them finding out why they do stuff like that and how to change it if they want to change it. Especially when it comes to relationships, uh, that's the most important thing for people. They, they come and say, okay, I, I always struggle at the same point and then my partner's leaving. Why? Mm -hmm. What's going on here? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I'm imagining all the people who say, but astrology isn't real or whatever. And I'm curious yeah, to know like, do. What, you, what you think about that. Um, 
for me, it's like that. Uh, when whenever someone says to me, "But I don't believe in astrology," I say, "Yeah, listen, I don't believe in my dentist, but I know <laughs> he's doing his job. That's not a question of believing, right? He does his job, and it's good." So, and astrology works the same way. It does its job. You don't have to believe something. It's some, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like it's, a dentist. <laughs> yeah. Thinking of two things I never would have put together: astrology and the dentist. But, <laughs> but it's interesting to me because I, um, one of my grad school advisors was Rachel Pollock, who was a tarot grandmaster, and you know knew more in the tip of her pinky finger than probably anybody else I've ever known before. And she would say that tarot just tells you what you already know, but that you lost track of or couldn't access consciously or, or whatever. And, and I think that there's, there's truth to that. If you look at it, if you pull a tarot card, whether you believe that tarot, and, and again, I don't think that tarot is going to tell your future either. I don't think anything can tell your future because everything's always changing. But if you if you ask a question and you pull a tarot card and you say, hmm, how does what this card means relate to my question? At the very least, you're going to get a different way to look at it than you had before. And that probably is going to bring you some kind of insight. I did, I've done courses with Martha Beck over the last couple of summers. And one of her creativity exercises was, how is this like that? And it's basically, you take any two random things and come up with how the one is like the other. And you will come up with stuff and you won't know where it's coming from because part of your brain is going to say, this makes no sense. A boat is not like a cat. <laughs> you know, And yet you're, you'll come up with some things. And that if nothing else, it's a way to connect parts of your brain that don't ordinarily connect, kind of like what we were talking about before. Mm. I have to think that that astrology does the same thing, whether you believe in it or not. It gives you another angle to look at your situation, your life, whatever it is that you're asking the question about. Yeah, it's exactly that way. It's, um, uh, for example, I'm, I have a real wonderful client who's like many, many years working with me. And of course, um, if the person is doing that and, and getting to your office twice a year, then you, you really know that birth chart very well. So whenever he asks a question, I can see where that is hidden and see how it's connected and then ask him back. So for example, um, he's one of the persons with, yeah, relationship issues. And he says, um, hey, why, why? Why do I always do it the same way? The moment a, a lady really starts loving me, I'm running away. And then you look at that birth chart and, and you say, okay, see here, this connection shows me that you are scared like hell. So you have to work on, and you saw, see, for example, the connection to a childhood thing where you got betrayed in, in your trust system. And then you have to work there and not in now times. You have to work with your inner child and heal that and get to know your inner child. Like get back to trust, trust the world, trust people, trust love. And then you're not scared anymore and you don't have to run. And that's just one thing, exactly like you said. Um, if this person is, is taking a, a tarot card, the information will be there as well. People know about that unconsciously knowing. Yeah, we will make a connection mm. from something. Yeah. And it, you know, may not answer everything, but it'll give you something to think about and to explore differently than you might have without it. Mm. And it may just bring up that thing that you already knew that you didn't realize that you already knew. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's it's interesting because I think you're right. I don't think you need to believe in any of that in order to use it as a tool at yeah. the very least. So for a different it's, way of looking at stuff. It's always about tools, right? It's the same with psych psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. um, and, and if we think of uh, uh, psychotherapy is, is a thing that exists for 
about 120 years astrology exists for 4,000 years. So why should I believe or trust in the one and not in the other? That's the, the thing. And, and even with, um, with methods, for example, um, when I'm teaching, so I'm teaching writing students as well, people who, who want to produce, to write the first book and then publish it. And we are doing exercises from, from all different kinds. Uh, we are like, it's on Zoom, right? We are clapping hands. We are rocking the, the, the stage. Um, we are, we are painting. We are, um, like hugging ourselves and stuff like that. And, um, after the first two afternoons, I, I, I asked them, didn't you ask yourself why I'm doing all the crazy stuff with you? <laughs> and they sit there like, yeah, we are, yeah. And, and so I, I tell them about brain science and how it works that you have to move your body as well and you have to touch yourself and touch real paper and not only computer and, and that's why I come up with all those different exercises um, to get the brain working and then you get into the trust yes I'm a writer I will write this book done and when the moment they get that, they are like, oh, yeah, sure. That lady knows what she's doing. Just thought she's doing crazy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I noticed on your website, you have a series of videos about the biggest mistakes you can make when you start writing a book. And I'm hoping that you'll be willing to tell everybody who's listening about the first one, because it, it struck me for various reasons. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> it did. Mm. But oh, I'll let I you talk it. about it and then I'll tell you why. <laughs> okay. Um, so as I changed the order of that <laughs> <laughs> videos, <laughs> you, you can't imagine how that production went. <laughs> Uh, you have to help me. Which one was the first? Um, the now, one nowadays about because I it. not telling people that you're writing a book. Ah, yeah. I right. That was ah, right. That was the thing. I had that as last video first, and then I thought it's so contra, so contra, um, with with what all the coaches say that you have to put that on the first position, and. That's a real huge thing. Um, if you tell everybody, and many coaches say, do that about your visions project whatsoever. In book writing, it's like you are like a tiny, weak plant at the beginning. Book writing is something huge. It's not like learning a language or starting a new job. Because in book writing, if we really do creative writing, um, we are working from the deepest parts of our soul especially when it comes to novels so if you start telling everybody about it your neighbor your mom your kids the friends of your kids the lady in the supermarket then <laughs> first of all you create loads of pressure loads of pressure onto, mm -hmm. onto yourself and the next thing is there will be people and you won't expect that they are doing that who will tell you what's the, what crazy idea is that? How how did you come up with the idea you could write the book? How there are so many books about that topic. So that's what happened to me with the garden book. I am not a professional gardener, and um, people started telling me, "Why do you think you can sell that book?" even sell it to a publisher. There are so many professional gardeners out there who write books. You really think they take your book? And you know what's happening? You get smaller and smaller and smaller. You doubt yourself. You, um, all those little voices um, you, you have in, in your head, right? You are not good enough. You're not clever enough. You are a procrastinator. You are whatsoever. They come up and they grow big then. So those tiny voices become big voices. 
And that's why I really recommend, um, uh, for example, I have a, a one, one student and, and this really struck me hard because she told everybody and then uh, she, 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 she took a coach, a writing coach and paid loads of money for it. And then that pressure got so high, she couldn't write a word. She mm -hmm. had a massive writer's block, massive. And every time we talk about it, she like burst out into tears and said, I cannot, I cannot, I cannot. So in this case, I really recommend don't tell it. Tell, tell your partner, maybe, if he's a good one, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, a good careful. part. Yeah. <laughs> or, or tell tell your sister if if the connection is really good and you know she's supportive. And then I would start the book. Um and when you are halfway through it, then it's time you can start telling and and see how does it feel. So people who will then say, "Ah, you really you think you can write a book?" You say, "Yeah, I'm halfway through." So, I'm just two yeah. chapters left and yeah. Um, that's the secret about that. And it's, it's, I think it's the same with so many, um, visions. Um, I remember one situation I told a very, very close friend that I'm, I'm into astrology that came overnight, right? I never was interested in a topic and then bam, I was in there and I started, um, an academy in Austria for three years studying astrology. And I told a friend of mine, very close friend, that I'm doing that. And of course, that was expensive. It was for three years. And she said, you really think you can earn money with astrology? Are you crazy? And all the doubts came up. Mm -hmm. um, I thought, okay, yeah, uh, yes, of, okay, that's expensive. At least I want to get that money back in because I need it. So. And that wasn't good for me. And in situations like that, I think many people can name 10 of them within a minute, right? Situations where people are not supportive and not even realizing it. Right. They think they're sparing you from yeah. some embarrassment or spending lots of money or working hard on something and getting nowhere. But they're yeah. really just feeding all of your doubts and insecurities. Oh. And you're right so about please, the, the pressure buildup too. It's huge. Yeah. The more pressure you put on yourself, the harder your creative work is going to be. Yeah. yeah. Tell me what came up for you. <laughs> so, so both of those things, but also, and this one I just thought of while you were talking, you know, one of the things about telling people, I'm going to, I have this great idea. This is what I want to write about. And it's this story where this happens and there's this character and there's, you know, all, you've got all of these ideas in your head. The more you talk about them, the less you have to write about them because you've already done that work out loud. And so then you go to write about them and you've already told 25 people. And now it just looks like, eh, you know, on your page, you're like, well, I don't know what else to write about this character. This character mm -hmm. is, you know, depressed and lives with his mother in the basement and you know whatever it, it is it just looks ordinary like what everybody else was going to do if you even get to the point of putting mm -hmm. it on paper yeah. the other thing that that it made me think of is that I tell people and I think I've done a pep talk episode about this I think so I think I called it keep it to yourself but is that people will write like the first five or 10 pages and they're so excited that they want to show it to everybody. And, oh, tell me what you think. Tell me what you think. And it's like the worst thing you can do because your first five or 10 pages are only the first five or 10 pages. You haven't really gotten started. You don't really know what's happening, where it's going. You're just flying on pure adrenaline. And you're so excited that you're super vulnerable to anything anybody says about those pages, which is why I will tell people a lot like what you just said, wait until it feels solid enough to you, which might be halfway through, might, might be when it's finished, might be before that, depending on who you are. But wait until it feels solid enough to you that you know that anything somebody tells you about it isn't going to destroy this project for you. Because until then, it's it's like cotton candy, you know, somebody breathes on it wrong, it's going to melt. And that's not 
good for you and it's not good for your project. It's not, it's not good for anything. So, so yeah, that's, that's part of why I tell people to keep it to themselves. Yeah. And what you just said with, if you tell it to many people, then like it feels so ordinary. Um, that's for example, what we did at TV work, right? When you had an interview, you do some rehearsal, but um, we told people not to answer just at the rehearsal stage, you got asked the question yeah. and say nothing. Because if they say it, when the interview is live, then they think I've said that already. And they say, say stuff like, as I said, but right. they didn't. <laughs> and so that's exactly that thing. And you mm -hmm. have that feeling our brains work like that. Yeah. And uh, especially when it comes to story outline and uh, and then the next thing happens that people say, ah, I've, I've read a novel which is exactly the same story. <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> but it's not, it never is. Never because is. Because you are unique and your character is unique. So it might be that the story is similar, but how many billion people living on this earth? There are similar stories. That's the fact. <laughs> right. And I love how writers respect each other's ideas so much that, you know, somebody will say, oh, I'm working on this thing and this is the premise. And, and I might say, oh, man, I wish I'd thought of that. But obviously it's your thing. So I'm not not going anywhere near it, which is how it should be. But mm -hmm. I have again with with Rachel Pollack, I I mentioned something to her that I had not exactly misheard, but wondered about from a Doctor Who episode one time. And and she immediately said, I know exactly what that would be, but I can't use it because it's yours. And I said, Rachel, the odds that you and I would do the same thing with that idea are so phenomenally tiny that you should just do it. And I'll do whatever I want to do with it if I ever do anything with it. And it'll all be fine. Mm -hmm. You know, because I was like, no, there's, there's absolutely no way the two of us are going to come up with the same thing. And then she finished hers and sent me a copy and I can't read it because I haven't decided if I'm doing something with it yet. <laughs> I was so excited that I was like, wait, I can't read this because if I do, I'll never come up with my own idea. I can't do this. So it's still sitting on my shelf waiting for me to decide if I'm going to run with it or not. But but yeah, it's funny because, you know, it's it's that a thousand monkeys with a thousand typewriters thing, you know, that nobody's ever going to come up with the same stuff. That's true. Yeah, absolutely correct. Um, it's, it's, we are unique. And that is one thing um, I really want to tell people again and again and again. Be unique and feel it and be so happy with you. And um, yeah, embrace it that you are unique. Yeah, absolutely. Don't don't worry so much about being like yeah. everybody else because you won't you won't be. I mean, even if you're rewriting, you know, Snow White, it's going to be a different kind of Snow White. I mean, look at Neil Gaiman rewrote Snow White in a story. I think it was Snow White. Yeah, called Snow Glass and Apples. It ain't like any Snow White you've ever read before. <laughs> It was one of the yeah. creepiest things I've ever oh read. Because you know? <laughs> it was Snow White from the evil stepmother's point of view. If the evil Ooh. stepmother wasn't actually evil and what is this child doing, you know? Um, and and yeah, it's it's super, super creepy. So, you know, you can even take something like that and turn it into something totally different because you'll have that unique point of view that somebody else won't have. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's the the, the secret. Mm -hmm. We have to tell people, all creative pe people out there. Yeah, you got to do your thing. Worry mm -hmm. about what anybody else thinks about it after you've done it. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> somehow this seems like a good place to stop. Yeah, there was. <laughs> Just oh my up god out of nowhere but yeah <laughs> well Ramana I have really enjoyed this conversation I'm so glad that you came and spent some time with me today thank you so much for having me on your show, show. I, I really enjoyed it that's our show 
Thanks so much to Ramana Hassanarol and to you for joining me. Please leave a review for this episode. There is a link right in your podcast app. And in it, tell us about how travel has influenced you. If you enjoyed our conversation, I hope you'll share it with a friend. Thank you so much. If this episode resonated with you, don't forget to get in touch on any of my social platforms or even via email at nancy at fycuriosity.com and tell me what you loved. And if you're feeling a little bit less than confident in your creative process right now and you haven't yet signed up for my free email series on six of the most common creative beliefs that are messing you up, please check it out. It'll untangle those myths and help you get rolling again. You can find it at fycuriosity.com and there's also a link right in your podcast app. See you there and see you next week. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners. Thanks. Thanks.